welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Recently, we began a new series on God's love, which we are calling All You Need is Love, sort of a nod to the Beatles But the basic idea is that what we need more than anything else in life is actually God's love. And so we're continuing in this series today by looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there or you can follow along on the screens. But just an amazing passage. It's uh, it's a beautiful passage. It's perhaps one of my favorite passages in in all of scripture. Uh, But the point is actually very simple. Uh, But Paul is telling us about something here such that that if you get it, if if you really get it, it has the power to to absolutely transform your life and and to root you and anchor you so that you can face anything in life. Well, well, what is it? What, What is Paul telling us about here? Well, he's telling us about an assurance that we can have through Jesus Christ. And the assurance is that no matter what happens in life, that God's love will always be with us and for us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Now, on the one hand, the point really is that simple. So I suppose I could just kind of end the sermon here. (laughs) Yet on the other hand, it's not that simple. Because if this truth is to be operative in our lives, in other words, if it's going to really anchor us and transform us, then we can't just leave this at the level of an abstract truth, that we have to find a way for this truth to be rooted deeply in our hearts. And so in light of that today, I'd like to take some time just to unpack this truth together and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because as we've talked about in this series, that's one thing to kind of know God's love up here, but it's another thing to really believe it and to really receive it down here and to really know that you know that you know that nothing could separate you from God's love. And so, so that's really the assurance that, that Paul is giving us and that's what we're talking about today. Now, set, to set this up, I want to ask a question. Is there anything in life that you think could separate you from the love of God? Or maybe put a bit differently, uh, is there anything in your life that might tempt you to doubt God's love for you? This past week, I had a revelation about myself, and it's that uh, when I'm performing well, it's very easy for me to believe that God loves me. But I just kind of had this insight this past week that when I'm not performing well, in other words, when maybe, you know, I'm not taking time, you know, for prayer as I should, or maybe I, I do something stupid or sin in some obvious way, that, that in those moments, it can be harder for me to believe that God loves me. Now, I have enough history with God. I have enough experience of his love that I still, even in those moments, I still believe that he loves me. But I just kind of had this, this, this awareness that in those moments that I can maybe believe that less strongly and that doubt can start uh, to creep in. Now, now, why that is for me, that's a whole other story. But I simply share that to illustrate that it can be a challenge for so many of us to not only uh, believe God's love, but also to really stay rooted in that reality. And this is something we can all wrestle with. So, for example, if you read some of the biographies of some of the saints throughout the ages, you will find that this is a lifelong journey for so many of God's people. 
And so Paul, he, he knows that. And so part of what he's, he's doing here in this passage is he's addressing head on those things that can actually tempt us to doubt God's love for us because he wants us to be so rooted in God's love. Now, the fears or, or the challenges that we can face really fall in, in two categories. And so Paul's addressing these things in, in this passage. And, and, and the first, there are what we might call internal challenges that we face when it comes to really believing God's love, internal challenges, things that are internal to us. Secondly, however, there, there are external challenges, things that are external to us. And, and Paul addresses both of these in this passage we're looking at. So let's, let's see how Paul does that. Let's kind of walk through this. So first, uh, he addresses internal challenges that we can face uh, when it comes to God's love. So suppose you, um, maybe you do something really stupid or you sin uh, in some obvious way, and, and afterward you might think, you know, God, do you really love me after that? Or, or perhaps you think, you know, God, you still love me even though I did that again, or for the, you know, for the hundredth time or for the, for the thousandth time. And, and, and this can be tricky because if you know scripture, you might know John, 1 John uh, 1, verse 9, which says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you might know that at one level, but what's hard is that sometimes, even if you know the verse, sometimes you don't feel forgiven. And sometimes there can be shame or condemnation or doubt that can come in. And sometimes that's a human doubt. It might just be kind of your conscience. Uh, but sometimes also the enemy comes in and, and likes to heap accusation. And by the way, the way he loves to work, just so you know, is that he will tempt you to something. And then when you fall for it after the fact, then he heaps all this condemnation on you after the fact. That, that's kind of the oldest trick in the book. And, and in those moments, though, we can wonder if, if God still loves us. We can, we can doubt it. We can fear that maybe we've just kind of run out of grace or maybe we've messed up too much this time. So what does Paul say to that? Well, let's look at Romans 8, verses 33 through 34. Paul says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And so here's what Paul says is telling us that if you trust in Jesus for your salvation, there is nothing you can do to bring you back into condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that there is nothing you can do to change that. It's all been covered by what Jesus has done. Now, can you do things that will cause you pain? Of course. (laughs) Can you do things that can cause others pain? Of course. Can you still do things that will grieve the Holy Spirit and grieve the heart of God? Of course. Our sin still has consequences. But one thing that Paul is making very clear that is not possible is for you to be under condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to change God's love for you. Paul is saying, look, Jesus, he died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he is there even this very moment. He is interceding for you. It's all been covered. So who then is the one who condemns? Paul says, no one, no one. And so, so in brief, that, that's how Paul addresses these, what we might call internal challenges to really receiving and living out of God's love and, and staying in that place. He's saying that our sin, our brokenness cannot separate us from the love of God. 
But how about the external challenges, those things that are outside of us that tempt us to doubt God's love for us? So that's, that's what Paul moves to address next. And this is where we'll spend most of our time. Let me read verse 35. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? Now, now let's stop here. What, what is Paul talking about here? Let me, let me ask you this. How do you tend to, if you just kind of reflect on your life, how do you tend to measure God's love for you? In my experience, here's what most of us do. We tend to base our assessment of God's love for us based on external circumstances, right? And so if things are going well, we can feel like, wow, God, God really loves me. Things aren't, things are difficult, things are hard. We might wonder, God, do you love me? God, God do you care? God, 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 where are you, right? In other words, we can be tempted to, to base our evaluation of God's love for us on our external circumstances. So, so that's why Paul is addressing this here because he knows that this is such a temptation for us. Such a temptation. So Paul, he lists here some examples of things, of circumstances that people in his day would have been very familiar with, which could have tempted them to doubt God's love for them. And so he lists trouble and hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Again, these are the kinds of things that, that can tempt us to, to doubt God's love for us. But let me just kind of bring this home for a minute. What might be some examples that might feel more relevant for, for those of us in this room? I think, it's, I think it's thoughts like these. You know, God, if, if you really love me, why is my marriage so hard? God, if you really love me, why am I still single? God, if you really love me, why are my finances in such a difficult place? God, if you really love me, why does it feel like I don't have any friends? God, if you really love me, why am I having these health struggles over and over again? God, if you really love me, dot, dot, dot. These are the kinds of things that, that we can struggle with, again, that can tempt us to doubt God's love for us. But again, in those moments, what we're doing is we're basing our assessment of God's love for us on external circumstances. And what Paul is telling us here, that that is just a total mistake, that we, we, we can't do that. Now, of course, can God's love be expressed through our circumstances? Of course. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from our Father of lights. And so if we experience a blessing in our life, that, that, that is an expression of God's grace and mercy and goodness in our lives. But with that be, being said, we, we need to be very careful to, to realize that we cannot reduce God's love uh, to our circumstances. So why is that? Well, first of all, because fundamentally God's love is something much deeper than that. And I'll say more about that in a moment. But second, that we have to realize that reality is complicated. <laughs> the, the reality is just kind of complicated. So we live in a post-fall world. We actually live in, in a war zone. We don't realize that. Sometimes we think we're like living in a peacetime. This, we're actually living in a war zone. We live amidst a clash of kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. So there's this kind of warfare that we find ourselves in the midst of. And we have, the Bible tells us, three main enemies. The world in its fallenness, uh, the flesh, in other words, human life lived apart from God, and the devil. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so in light of that, you can't simply measure God's love for you based on the circumstances of your life because, well, we've got other forces at work in the world, right? Uh, a while back, I heard a pastor named uh, Bill Johnston uh, interviewed on the radio, and, and he's someone who's seen God heal many people 
through prayer. And somehow it came up in this interview that his dad uh, had cancer. And, and, and so he shared that, that uh, you know, as one who believes uh, that God can still heal today, that he prayed fervently for his dad, but that his dad wasn't healed. And, and so the interviewer asked him, did you ever ask God why? And his response was, I think, is really profound. He said, no. He says, I never did because I knew that he wasn't the one who caused it. He said, if God healed him, we would have had more time with him and his ministry would have continued. But if not, I knew that he would get to go home to be with Jesus. And so it was sort of a win-win. And so I I simply share that to illustrate that Bill understood that that we live in in sort of a a war zone. And and so in light of that, you can't simply read God's love for you based on your circumstances. There are other forces at work in the world. Let's keep reading. Verse 35, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And by the way, it's a rhetorical question. The implied answer is no, an emphatic no. Uh, Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. By the way, it's a little different uh, than uh, kind of the prosperity gospel you might hear sometimes. Um, Yeah, you won't hear that one quoted. So here Paul is quoting <laughs> Psalm 44, verse 22, which is, psalm, which is a psalm of complaint to God in the midst uh, of suffering. And, and here's what's so interesting about this. I think so often when we experience suffering, we, we can think what? You know, I, I must have done something wrong. And maybe God is disciplining me for that. Now, of course, that's possible. Uh, but, but what's so interesting about this psalm is that the suffering that the people of Israel are lamenting here uh, has arisen not because they've done something wrong. It's actually because they've been faithful to God. That is actually Jesus, by the way. What happened to him? He was persecuted. He went to a cross, not because he was living in opposition to God, but because he was doing the very thing that God called him to do. So Jesus himself actually told us that, that we, we should expect suffering, trials, hardship in this life because we follow in his footsteps. John 16, 33. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have what? Many trials and sorrows. But take heart, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. So the point is is that we can expect trials and and hardship in, in this life. But here is what Paul says that we can count on in the midst of that. Romans 8, verse 37. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, you might wonder, you know, how how is Paul able to say that? I mean, come on, did he kind of have maybe kind of a sheltered existence? I mean, did he maybe kind of, was he writing this from some sort of, you know, kind of cushy vantage point that made him easy for him to kind of say this and just as makes it sound so easy? Well, actually, uh, no. Um, if, If you know anything about the life of the Apostle Paul, that he actually faced every single hardship listed in this passage and then some. And if you look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 11 and 12, he just kind of catalogs the journey he's been on. But here's what he found. And again, for him, this was not just an abstract truth. For Paul, this was an experiential reality that he knew in his life. And what he found is that amidst all that, amidst shipwrecks, amidst hunger, amidst beatings, amidst persecution, amidst being falsely accused, amidst all these things that he found that nothing could separate him from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And that's why. So amazing. If you read Paul's letters, if you look at his life, he can be in prison 
And he's just like singing. He's in prison. And by the way, the prisons then were worse than they are now. He was in prison singing with joy in his heart. How is that possible? Because he knew the love of God that it could not, nothing, not prison, not hardship, not trials, not tribulations, nothing could separate him from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he's saying, look, this is the reality that I want you to know. And if you get this, if you grasp this, if you hold on to this, this will anchor your life for no matter what you face, no matter what you face. Now, just to drive this point home, I got thinking, because um, I was trained as a philosopher, so I'm always thinking, is there some, you know, is there some kind of counterexample I can come up with this? Is there anything that could separate us from the love of God? And, and so I was thinking, and um, so I was thinking, what was the worst thing we could possibly face in human life? And what, what do you think? Is it death? You know, I actually don't think so, because as Paul said, that, that, that to be absent, even if someone were to take my life, that Paul said to be absent from the body, if you have faith in Jesus, to be absent from the body is actually to become directly present to the Lord, to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. So for me, that's like, you know, boom, I'm in Jesus' presence. So that's not the worst thing. So what, what, could, what might be the worst thing that we could face that might possibly separate us from the love of God? And here's what I came up with. And, and uh, this is not maybe your Sunday morning thought you're expecting, but, but uh, torture. Torture, think about that. That's the worst thing I can think about in human life that could possibly give us some sense of being separated from love, love of God. But, but, but actually, as I reflected on that, not even that can separate us from the love of God. I was thinking about, uh, I, I once uh, uh, heard the testimony of a man named Rami who was from the Middle East and uh, that he was featured in a film called Father of Lights, which is uh, a documentary about some amazing ways that God has worked around the world. And, and this is a man who is persecuted severely uh, for his faith and uh, just brutally persecuted. And he was actually even tortured, yet he found God's love real for him, not just as an abstract truth, but as an experienced reality, even amidst the worst thing you can imagine. And if there are any young children, I don't think, in the room, you can maybe cover theirs for about 10 seconds. But, but, but he found, I mean, so he, so he um, I mean, he was burned, uh, he was electrocuted, and he was tortured in ways that were just so sadistic and cruel that you, I, I, it's, I can't even describe them in this context. But nonetheless, he found God's love real for him in that context. And he shared that, that every time he was burned, and they showed the, the burn marks on his back, that every time he was burned, that he felt the love and presence of Jesus Christ embracing him and enfolding him. And through his broken English, he said that when he lost consciousness, that he had a vision of Jesus hugging him and enfolding him. And he went on to say, I know Jesus will never leave me. Isn't that amazing? The worst thing you could possibly face on planet Earth, not even that, could separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Now, I said a moment ago that we are in the midst uh, of a world at war, and so um, the way that God works amidst that can sometimes be hard to see because there are these other things at work going on, and sometimes the way he works is actually surprising, and so that can tempt us to doubt his love for us. I want to share uh, one of my favorite stories from the Bible, just to kind of give you an imagination for, for how God's can be at work, even in surprising ways. So uh, in Romans eight twenty eight, it says that, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, now what, what does that mean? What that means is that taken as a whole and looked at from the long run, 
that everything that happens, God is working that somehow, even if we're not able to see it right now, into a plan that will bring good for us and glory to his name. Everything. And so here's a story to illustrate. And if you've read the Bible, you might remember this one. This is from Genesis 37, the story of Joseph. <clears throat> so early in his life, Joseph, he, he was given some dreams by God, which kind of told of, of just this great destiny that God had for his life. And, and his brothers heard about this. Joseph wasn't the smartest kid. And so he shared about these dreams with his brothers. And, and so as you can imagine that they got a bit jealous. And so eventually they got so upset with him that, that they threw him in a pit and they sold him into slavery. Now, in those moments when, when he's in that pit or and they're wondering, are they going to kill me? Uh, or the, when he's sold into slavery, you can imagine what Joseph must have been thinking. I mean, what would you be thinking in those moments? Wait, I thought I got a dream from God. I thought I got a word from God. Yet here I am in this pit, a literal pit. Here I am, wait a second, now here I am in, in slavery in Egypt. And so I think it's, it's reasonable to think that he was probably just pointing, God, like, wait, wait, wait a second. Did I hear you wrong? Like, God, like, where are you? I, I thought you had great plans for my life. And, and if you read this story, God, there, there's a lot of just, of just hardship uh, that he went through in his life. But, but if you've read the story, you'll know that, that if he hadn't, here's what's so kind of mind-blowing, if he hadn't been sold into slavery, if, if he hadn't gone through all those years of suffering, that not only would hundreds of thousands of people died of famine, but even his own family would have been destroyed as well. And so, what that illustrates is that even in the worst of circumstances, even when we can't see it, we don't know how it's happening, that we can trust that God is somehow actively at work bringing things together for good. Paul says that's always the case. No matter how much junk is coming at us from the outside, how much junk is bubbling up from inside of us, that we can be assured of God's relentless, just everlasting love for us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And uh, if you've uh, been with us for a while, if you've heard me share that when I was uh, in grad school my first year, that I went through just a horrific depression. It was so dark and it was so bad. I just thought I would never find a way out of that. I just thought my life is just over. But God brought me through that. And I can tell you, even though I don't want to go back to that place, I can tell you that now in the rearview mirror, I can actually be thankful for that place because it actually formed me. It made me a deeper person. It drew me closer to God. I'm more empathetic. I, I wouldn't be half the pastor I am today had I not actually gone through that. And I wouldn't pray that experience on anyone, but all I, I share that to say is that God, again, all things, even if we can't see it, he works all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Now, at the end of this passage, verses 38 through 39, Paul closes with, with just sort of an all-encompassing statement to make sure we, we don't miss his point. And he begins this last part by saying, I am convinced. In other words, he's saying, I, I am completely certain. I am utterly persuaded. And then he launches out with just sort of this wide-ranging list of things that can't separate us from the love of Christ. He says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what can separate us from the love of God? Paul's answer, nothing. Nothing in all creation. Not your worst mistakes, not your worst setbacks. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Amen. Amen. So just in closing, I want to share a few thoughts by way of application, just kind of some pastoral thoughts about how we can grow in our experience of this love that we've been talking about. 
And so in light of this, this passage here, here's just my first piece of advice as we go through life to one, focus on Jesus, not on your problems. Focus on Jesus, not on your problems. Now that doesn't mean we deny the reality of the struggles we face. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is in terms of what is our primary focus as we go through the challenges of life. Uh, so remember the story of, of Peter walking on water. So the disciples, they're out on, they're in a boat, they're out on a lake. There's a storm and Jesus comes out walking to them on water. They're surprised, they're actually, they're scared. They think it's a ghost at first. And, but Jesus calls and, and, and Peter says, hey, hey, if it's you, Jesus, call, you know, you know, call me to come to you. And he says, he says, come. And so the first thing we see in this story is this invitation to come to Jesus. And that's always the first invitation of our life is to come to Jesus. And, and so, so Peter, he responds and notice he responds. It's in the midst of a storm, amidst the storms of life. We are still to come to Jesus. But as we read the story, we're, we're, we're told that as, as Peter began to walk on the water, when, when, when he focused on Jesus, he was able to move forward. But when he focused on the waves, on the storm, all those things, he began to sink. And I think it's sort of just, just an image for us of, of how we are to navigate the struggles of life. That when we keep our focus on Jesus, we are able to move forward with him. But when we focus on the storms, on the waves, then we begin to sink. And so that's just an encouragement to, to, as we go through the challenges of life, to focus on Jesus, not on our problems. Here's the second bit of uh, just advice, and it's to, to find ways to bathe in God's love for you. So I feel like I'm kind of like a, like a cold steak that's been like frozen in, in, in the freezer, you know? And, and, and the goal is to get that thing nice and warm and, and, and ready, but it's like, for me, it's, it takes time for my heart to kind of thaw out. And so that's part of why we're doing this series for several weeks, because you can't just hear one sermon on God's love and for it to really sink into your heart and transform me, that we need time to really just bathe and immerse ourselves in God's love. And so my encouragement is to find some way for you to do that in your life, uh, not just on Sunday, but find some way to do that. And there, there are different ways you can do that. Something I've been doing lately is there's a particular song uh, by uh, House Fires called This Love, and just, it just for, for some reason, it's just helped me really enter into that place. So I've been kind of putting it on repeat lately and just worshiping God. My kids are probably sick of the song by now. But, but for me, it just helped me kind of get into that place of just kind of immersing myself in God's love. And so I would just say, so find a way that works for you. Maybe that's taking a passage of Scripture like Romans chapter eight, and just reading it and just, not just kind of buzzing through it, but meditating on it, letting it really just sink into your heart. So the encouragement is simply find some way to bathe in God's love, whether that's through worship or, or scripture or some other way. That's the second thing. The last thing is, is simply this, to make space for God and his love. To make space for God and his love. We have so many distractions uh, in, in, in our day that we really need to be intentional in making space to really receive God's love. And uh, I, I read a, a, an interesting psalm uh, recently. This is Psalm 131, verse 2. And there the psalmist says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Now that's, that's kind of an interesting psalm. What does that mean? Well, uh, what the psalmist is saying is that by stilling himself before God, that he has come to know a satisfaction with God like that of a child who's just been nursed. In other words, he feels so comforted and, and feels so loved. And, and there's this sense this communicates of taking time and, and, and creating space for kind of this, again, this intimate knowledge uh, of God. And so 
I would suggest that this is just such an important thing for us to create time and space, just to, to be with God, to, to receive from him. And so uh, in our small groups are uh, practicing the way of Jesus. Uh, small groups, uh, several of our groups are, are doing an exercise or practice this week along these lines. So even for those who aren't in those groups, just to share a couple ideas. So uh, some of our groups are taking 20 minutes each day this week, just in silence, just to be with God, just to create space to be with him. Some of us, our group, we're uh, taking, we've, we've decided we're going to take a 30 to 90 minute walk with God. Not just a walk, not, it's not, the point isn't exercise. It's a walk with God. It's a way of kind of stepping away from the computer, stepping away from all the hustle and bustle of life and just going out and just being with God. Just creating space for us to ho- hopefully be encountered by his love and his presence and his mercy. So those are just some ideas to, to, to really um, make space for God and, and his love. But just, just in closing, as the band comes back up. Um, what we've seen today is that, is that nothing in life, not height, not depth, not anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So no matter where you are today, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, that this love is for you. And, and God wants you to know that, to trust that, to be rooted in that. Uh, but there's one thing I, I just wanted to point out about uh, this love and it's that the love that, that Paul is talking about here is a very specific sort of love. And, and in our day, there's, there's sort of a, a lot of um, kind of vague spirituality. And, and I know it's well-meaning that, for example, I often hear people talking about uh, the universe in, in kind of quasi-personal terms uh, as though the universe uh, cares about you. And I just, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, <laughs> but it doesn't. The universe as such just doesn't. I mean, it's matters and molecule and atoms. that they, those, those things don't care about you. Actually, I'll, I'll read to you a quote from a philosopher and a neuroscientist named Sam Harris, and he puts it like this. He says, quote, nature, in other words, the universe, has no concern for individuals or for species. Those that survive do so despite her indifference. So again, atoms, electrons, uh, molecules, uh, they, they are utterly indifferent to you and to me. But there is one who is not. There is one who actually has all love. And he actually, the Bible says he is love and his name is Jesus. And he loves you so much. And he would love for you to know his love today. And so if you want that in your life, I want to give us an opportunity to respond. And so let's just, just bow our heads together and, and close our eyes. And um, I don't know where everyone is today, but um, perhaps you're here today. You're not quite sure what you believe about Jesus, but you're curious. Uh, you're open and so maybe a way of just taking a step forward, if this resonates with you, you might just pray this simple prayer. Some call this the skeptic's prayer. You can say, Jesus, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And so if that, that resonates with you, I invite you, you can just even say that quietly right now. Jesus, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? Some of you... Uh, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're drawn by this love and, and you want to receive that into your life. And so for you, I just want to give you a simple prayer to enter into this. And you can just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And that's not all you want to say. That's just the start of a conversation. That's a way to begin to enter into this life of love through Jesus Christ. And and for all of us here, this love uh, is for us. And so we're going to take a minute just in silent prayer, just to kind of bathe 
in this love and the band's going to play a little instrumental but let me just pray for us so Lord we thank you for your great love and I thank you that your love is for each person here Lord I pray for anyone here who feels overlooked by you who feels unseen by you that they would know that you see them that you're with them you've not forgotten them you've not forsaken them that nothing can separate them from your love Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just bring the love of the Father in this place? For anyone who took a step towards you for the first time today, God, I just pray that you would just draw them close and grow them in you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just take a moment together just to, just to be with God. Then we'll continue in worship.